Good evening, everyone. Time to take a deep breath. Remember you're here. We'll just wait a moment or so just to see if a few more people drop in. Meantime, I'm going to delight in seeing your faces. And do a little stealth meta, wish you well. May you be happy. And maybe before we start, because I'm in the mood, love for to invite you to unmute and say good evening to each other. Just bathe in each other's voices and hopefully your goodwill. Good evening, everyone. Hello, everybody. Hello. Feel free to say where you're calling in from if you like. Hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. I'm here from Berkeley. Charlie. Hi, Regina. Only in San Diego. Madison, San Francisco. Hi, everyone. Hi, San Francisco. Hi, from Yosemite. Hi. From from Burl Heights. All right. <laughs> I'm from British Columbia. Welcome, Canucks. <laughs> Great. Scottsdale, Arizona. All right. Anyway, welcome everyone. If you haven't been here before, and welcome back, those of you who sit with us regularly. Uh, Real chance to bathe in each other's good company and, and put on your mute button. And remember for a few moments that that you, um, Quoting Thich Nhat Hanh, you who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child and come home and reclaim your heritage. And what is that heritage? The heritage is the natural peace and ease, silence, completeness, that is the natural peace, ease, and completeness of our nature. And that what I think all of us need is to just return, just remember, return to what, what we are on present evidence, non-historical experience of ourselves. So stepping out of the, what one teacher calls the stream of distress uh, into a simple experience of the living present. 
And just noticing after your last story of yourself has passed and before the next one arises, just notice the vividness and the clarity, the aliveness, the peace, simplicity. So a lot of our practice is to get used to that. Reclaim our heritage. But the other part of our practice is to utilize that ever available, ever present wakefulness and clarity and to notice, notice the, what you could consider the creative display of our mind that is sometimes creating beauty and richness and other times it is created, creating uh, distorted perceptions of ourselves and our world. And instead of thinking about things tonight and making them real, we just notice that the mind is thinking. Instead of getting involved in uh, sentimentality, overwhelm, frustration, we just relate to the moods and emotions as changing weather. We feel the move, move through our body without elaborating, without embellishing. Sensations we experience is pleasant, unpleasant, somewhere in between. Again, as changing conditions, points of feelings are like flickering stars in, an, in a vast and welcoming evening sky. So we just settle back into the moment. Be aware of the simple fact that we are aware. Let ourselves be supported by, anchored by this miraculous, although sometimes difficult, physical body. Anchoring our attention in the gentle movements that our body makes when it breathes. Just letting the body's breath support a kind of emptying of our usual preoccupations. Letting that emptying that happens on the in-breath and the out-breath be the cause of just filling ourselves up with life right as it's being felt right where it touches you. Just this moment, just this breath, just the sounds, the distant sounds, the sounds in your room, the sound of my voice, 
sound of silence. Let everything that presents itself be a reminder of your love of being here. Rest in this natural great peace. Fully aware but not doing anything or undoing anything. Just noticing the body, breath, moods, thoughts, images, and sounds. Everything is changing. In this way, we realize the Dharma, the way it is. Just this.
just a reminder that when you realize that you've been drifting, dreaming, fantasizing, lost in thought, that moment of realization is a moment of awareness, re-arising, shining through, of waking up to where you are. So rather than judge the fact that mind was absorbed, it's a con just a condition anyway, not personal. Rather than judge, to appreciate that moment of reawakening. Enjoy that simple awareness and in support of remaining anchored to this living present. And let our mind can just sink into our body and our body fill our mind. Just be aware. Be aware as long as it lasts, supported by the anchor of the body and breath. Breathing with awareness, sitting with awareness.
real-time awareness is timeless. Beyond the three times of past, future, and even the idea of present. But with that understanding, every moment is fresh and open. It's a new beginning. You can always begin again. If there's strain or tension, begin again by noticing that. Softening. If there's dullness, torpor, notice it and feel it. And sit up straight. Just being aware of whatever presently arising experience. becomes known in awareness. Just this moment, just this breath or whatever's predominant.
Just testing your equanimity with that awful sound. Really deep pleasure practicing with you tonight. Have to say that most of the afternoon I felt extremely uh, exhausted. And uh, my mind was doing the, I have to do the Tuesday evening group. And I was really working with the, I get to do the Tuesday night group. And working with the gratitude and reframing of of that moment where my mind would start to incline toward complaint. And yet the moment that I arrived and actually saw your faces and started to sit with you, all of that seemed completely irrelevant. And I really experienced what uh, I have many times before, the, the real lifting power, the, supportive power of practicing together with others. And especially when it's a gathering for the purpose of awakening, of returning to, to our true nature. And that, that true nature is whatever's happening. It doesn't have to be exotic. It can be just knowing we're aware and what we're aware of. This is the Buddha and the Dharma, the Buddha is awake, and the Dharma is the way it is. And there's something about that, doing that in the company of, of others, even virtually, that is uplifting. So thank you. And I don't feel even the shadow right now of fatigue that I did before. I did wonder, and I thought that we would begin tonight since I haven't done this in a little while. Just thought I would just check in to see if there was anything that any of you um, wanted to talk about, any questions you had, any comments, descriptions, uh, questions about any of the instructions, anything you noticed during the, the practice, and so that mostly what's immediate, but also something's coming up in your practice that you may want me to comment on and or that you may just need to give voice to. And the way we do this is with the raised hand function, which I think is under reactions. What you see, yeah, there it is, under reactions on the computer software but maybe there are other places where that lives. What do you say, Mary? Is there, are there other places where the raised hand lives? Mm, I think it's mostly under reactions. Perhaps it's under participants, but you can also just ping, ping me if you need to, or just speak out if no one else is speaking. Okay, but Misha has, her hand. Uh, has broken the ice. So welcome. Thanks, Howie. Pleasure, uh, nice to see you again. Yeah, you too, thank you. Looking forward to this weekend with oh, you. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so starting with the tonight's sit, um, there's a lot of uh, chronic illness, fatigue stuff going on, and 
Um, so part of what I'm noticing, exploring and wondering about is the concentration factor. So in spite of like parts of being very sleepy um, and then just doing some, you know, sitting, drinking, opening, opening the eyes and stuff, there were definitely periods of, I think I would call it indistractability. So concentration, even with feeling, you know, fatigue, sleepy, low energy, because when that sound happened before the bell, it was just like, oh, there's the sound. There was, there was no, none of that um, startle reflex thing happening. And my nervous system is highly tuned to have a heightened startle reflex. So part of how this relates is I've been reading and considering uh, studying the jhana states and wondering why I would even bother doing that because of not wanting to get clinging to pleasant states. Um, and I finally, last night, how it clicked for me was, oh, I have all these spiritual experiences and unfolding and stuff. And there's only so much attention I can be present with what's unfolding. And heck, if I had uh, more concentration, then I'd be able to be more present to allow it to unfold. But then it keeps happening anyway, you know, and it breaks through. So the bigger question, I guess, is do I even need to bother studying the jhanic states in order to keep waking up? Thank you for the question. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it bothering to study the jhanic states. <laughs> uh, the Buddha practiced um, jhana, absorption states, and that's what created the conditions for him to, in a sustained way, to be able to look into the nature of reality and to take those that variety of experiences and learn something from them, to have them really affect, affect the heart. Uh, so it's useful. However, I think that they get a little bit glorified as this other thing, when in fact, when one trains in, in moment-to-moment -moment noticing, if really being with the changing conditions that are occurring, the same power of concentration grows. And so it's not as though you need to go into some different arena to develop the powers of mind, powers of concentration, but it does take a, a certain uh, willingness to, to be continuous if you really want to have the benefit of those, uh, what are called concentration factors, those factors really growing in a profound way that allow uh, a different, uh, a more heightened sense of, of clear seeing. But really this, those power, if there is a relaxed continuity, the same powers of mind will grow and I just would try not to set it up as being too much other. Um, it's a longer topic, but I think that's all I'll say for now. Thank you. Glenn, is Glenn, or did Glenn just happen to, to have his uh, 
something happened. Linda, please, you seem like you're next. Good evening. Uh, right before we started sitting, I got an email from my boss saying we all have to do this disagreeable thing that I totally don't want to do. And so I spent most of the meditation fuming about that to the point that I thought, I'm going to quit this job rather than do this thing I really, really, really don't want to do. And so thank you for right after the meditation, the reminder about getting to do something rather than having to do something. I get to do this thing <laughs> that my boss wants me to do. So thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. Always great to see you and feel your spirit. Anyone else? Any question, comment, description? Okay. Anne, good to see you. You too. I, I was just thinking that when I was in Girl Scout camp when I was 10 years old, they put a big bowl of prunes on the table in the middle of the breakfast table and we didn't have to eat the prunes we got to eat the prunes so i've been living with that concept all my life <laughs> great lucky you yeah, right. that's all i had to say lucky that you like prunes as well actually i do like prunes so it was okay <laughs> but yeah i thought of that got to you get to do it you have to do it um, a long time and sometimes the get to do it doesn't work <laughs> but but sometimes it does so it's good sometimes you have to just do it yeah that's right that's for sure right. watch too many nike commercials anyway nice to see you anything else before we shift gears looks like christopher has his his hand up great christopher Thank you, Howie. Pleasure Good to see you, everyone tonight. Um, my question or comment that I was going to say was um, around like having sort of a full stop of identity. Like, I was curious if there's something to be said about sort of unpacking or uh, if there's like an unwinding when we have all of our thoughts, all of our usual channel of things that we have to do and I find sometimes in practice um, this point where sometimes I'll hear myself thinking and, and you know, uh, and just suddenly as I become aware of it, um, it more feels like my mind is just aware of this mental chatter. And sometimes it, it feels like it just completely dissolves, like I'm just no longer in those thoughts. And uh, sometimes almost immediately, it's like there's this, this, clarity where it where it stops from and so um yeah so sometimes i just wonder if there's you know is there a state change that that we should should we take some comfort in that or is it or is it uh you know possible that that's that's also the right way for us to just have a moment of awareness where we just let it all go and that's um, all we ever have the 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 story of ourself is really just another moment of thinking. And so that moment that you see that a thought is known as it is, that's a moment of insight knowledge into the way, the way consciousness and objects arise and vanish that quick. And 
that bearing witness to that over and over just completely cuts through the whole notion of there being any kind of continuity of self. And so all the monuments that we build to the different identities, we get to we get to see in real time that they're just ideas in a way. Uh, and of course, they have so much habit strength that they and they leave so much residue of feeling inflated or deflated or afraid or or deficient or something. They they seem so real, and so that you have to be respectful of the the pain that comes from from such frequent um, identity view, you know, frequently living in identity view. Uh, so respect and kindness, but whenever you can see through it, that is the, that, that is the awakening. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what really freed the heart of the Buddha was seeing that none of it is self and that everything was marked by three characteristics, arising, vanishing, permanence. Because things arise and vanish, it can't be clung to, can't be held onto, so unreliable, unsatisfactory, and arising and passing all by itself. So the, the thought arose by itself and the awareness arose to notice it by itself. And that's amazing. <laughs> So I don't know if I answered your question or spoke to it, but that's what I got out of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just maybe yeah. a little bit more of the full stop. Just present to that. Well, what, is, what else is there to do? <laughs> Meditative awareness has no agenda other than to see what's there. Mm. It's nothing. It doesn't want to figure anything out or fix anything. Or just sees. Ah thinking, gone like a bubble, like a cloud passing through an empty sky, you know. Mm. No substantiality at all. So have fun with it. Thank you. Thank you. So good to see you. Okay, I think it's small transition time. And Mary, I think that, it, that you are on right now for any little announcements. Certainly. Thank you so um, much. You're quite welcome. So welcome everyone to Mission Dharma, particularly those of you who may be here for the first time. Um, just I have a couple of announcements about uh, practice opportunities, retreat opportunities. Uh, this weekend, Howie is doing a weekend online retreat and it's hosted by the Prescott uh, Insight Meditation, and it's called Still Here. And I will drop the registration information um, in the box in a moment. And opening today at Spirit Rock is an, an on-land retreat at Spirit Rock in January called uh, Waking Up in the Midst of It All. So the on-land retreats are, are booking really fast. So if you want you to the in-person retreats in person, yeah. On land, in-person retreat. Um, I advise you to, uh, if you're interested to, to sign up very soon because they tend to fill up very quickly. So that's called waking up in the midst of it all. It's with Howie, Susie Harrington and Tara Moulet, all wonderful teachers. And that's January 4th through 9th. And then finally, just a friendly reminder about Donna. 
Uh, Mission Dharma relies on your generosity. We wouldn't be here if it were not for uh, your kind financial offerings. And we've been here for 35 plus years every Tuesday. So um, I will drop in uh, ways that we can, you can donate. And uh, thank you very much for your generosity and your kindness and your presence. And back to you, Howie. Okay, thank you, Mary. Uh, what I'd like to do right now is take a, a little bio break. So, and for you, you can either, uh, you can either stretch, take a bio break or uh, offer Donna if you like, but we'll take three minutes right now. At, at five minutes after the hour, wherever you happen to be, we will start again, be right with you. Thank you for sticking around. 
when I referred to the Buddha as awakening to the insubstantiality of, of our identities, and egos, and having seen through the illusion of a separate self, You could say that he saw through the illusion that there was really any other. He came to a realization that, that we are all um, experientially, um, by nature, completely uh, interdependent. And that wasn't necessarily a reflection that came to the heart and mind of the Buddha, but it was a natural expression, the, the expression of that non-separateness was love. And in the case of the Buddha, the way that that love was expressed, that wish, the natural wish for others to be happy and well and safe. Uh, the way that expressed itself for him was certainly a feeling of friendliness and goodwill, which we call metta. But it was spending the next 45 years in service to whoever was interested to come and see for themselves what is possible as a human being. And what he described as being possible as a human being, and many of you have practiced this, is that it's possible to, to dwell, to abide in a, a state of, of goodwill, of friendliness. To abide in a, a state of caring, especially when, when our heart, mind, and I'll just say, I'll say it right now that the word in uh, Pali for awakening consciousness or awakening of the mind, it's called chitta. We're awakening our chitta, but chitta is also the word for heart. And so when our, the, our heart meets, when it dwells in open-heartedness, when it meets other beings, it expresses itself as a wish for others to be happy, to be safe, to be well. That's just what our hearts do. And that's what a well-trained heart expresses itself as. And when that same heart-mind, that chitta meets pain in this world, which there's a huge measure of, not the only thing there is, but huge measure of, when it meets pain, it expresses itself as compassion as the 
often felt as the kind of quivering of the heart, the, the impulse to want to help, to want to alleviate suffering. And when that open-heartedness, that non-separateness, that abiding in open-heartedness is available to the joys of this world, it expresses itself as what the Buddha called mudita or uh, appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, altruistic joy, a, a, a happiness that someone is happy. Being able to take delight, it doesn't mean just humans, it can be animals when you see a a puppy just i have a a puppy that i think is the fastest runner that i've ever seen in my life and often i go to the park with my wife and and once we hit the park and undo the leash she just takes off and everybody in the park just shines with delight watching this being watching her frolic people join so so instantly and so effortlessly that's an ordinary kind of um, sympathetic joy and i also take delight in the in seeing everyone taking delight in in her and it, she has become the cause of more conversations and connections so all these qualities that love, compassion, joy, they're really natural expressions of a heart that's available, a consciousness that's open. And when one bears witness to the joys and the sorrows, and sees the changing nature of everything in this world. Consciousness that is open is also expresses itself at, as wise, as discerning, as clear, and sees that with a certain kind of clarity that, that everyone is, <clears throat> is living according to their conditions that a heart that's open, that's caring, it's not blaming, it's not positioning, it's not, it's, it just sees things more as they are. And so a fruit of that is friendliness, but also the fruit of that clear seeing is the quality of non-contentiousness, non-reactiveness, called equanimity, upekka. These natural expressions of an awakened consciousness, which all of us have intrinsically, part of our nature, we can actually all learn to abide in these. And express them in all the different ways that, that we do, our, the unique way that each of us lives. It could express itself in, in just, acts of kindness, 
kind words, kind a smile, could be the service that you offer, could be the, the fierceness that you care for this world and for the people who are uh, less fortunate and are oppressed or marginalized. This is also an expression of this boundless heart. It's what, what are called the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma means kind of the heavenly or, or divine. Vihara is abodes, the abode of the the abodes of the divine. They're also called the immeasurable qualities. And those qualities can grow so exponentially that, that our love can grow, our caring can grow to such an extent that there is no one that, that we can't feel well wishing for. And of course, our tendency to fall into what are called their far enemies, these qualities, these Brahma Viharas, these immeasurable qualities have far enemies and they have near enemies. So the far enemy of loving kindness is ill will and hatred. So clearly loving kindness is an antidote for so much ill will. And so anytime we can incline toward loving kindness, it's a good thing. The far enemy of compassion is cruelty. So anytime we can incline toward compassion, it's a good thing. There's so much cruelty in this world. And remember, the world is the way it is because we are the way we are. As long as we are the way we are, the world just keeps being cruel. We want a caring world. We have to be caring people. Actively. The far enemy of of um, the far enemy of sympathetic or altruistic joy is jealousy, envy, comparing, the tendency to, to it's a kind of, um, it's a kind of contraction, it's not a, the heart that can join with someone's good fortune or success or joy. It, it's a mind that feels um, less than, that shrinks, that contracts. And the far enemy of equanimity, open, balanced, non-reactive is grasping greed, the taking of positions, uh, I just have to digress a little bit. 
I was reflecting on this today and I realized that this taking of positions seems like such an ordinary thing. I take a position, you know, in the more mundane sense, I take a position on who I want to win. I'm into sports. And yet that, that desire for that greed, that desire, that positioning for who I want to win, it creates a state of suspended balance. It throws me off balance. It makes me dependent on conditions for my sense of well-being. So even though I'm, I joined the throngs of innocent sports fans, I've actually been, been cultivating something that opposes equanimity <laughs> all these years. And so I'm actually in, a little bit inspired right now to see if in every event that I, I want someone to win, whether it's political, whether it's sports, that I let it be the reminder of my love of equanimity and a reminder to return to that, that, that wisdom that, that in this world, winning, is not reliable because there, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Praise is not reliable. Sometimes there's praise, sometimes there's blame. Gain is not reliable. Sometimes there's gain, sometimes there's loss. Fame, clearly unreliable. Sometimes there's fame and often there's shame. Pleasure, pain. So everyone, everything is marked by these worldly winds. One extreme gives way to the other. So what can we rely on? We rely on uh, the wisdom of equanimity and uh, a remembering to have our, our chitta, our heart, in a, in a place of balance to cultivate that. So the Buddha, in one of his suttas, which inspired me, this is from a, a basket of suttas that I read a lot, called the Anguttara Nikaya, the numbered suttas. It's part of the Majjhima Nikaya, but it's, but it's, or, or maybe it's its own thing, but. It, I get mixed up. They seem to straddle both of these big baskets of suttas. This one is called the heart. Friends, I know nothing which is as intractable as an untamed heart. The untamed heart is indeed intractable. Friends, I know nothing which is as tractable as a, as a trained heart as a tamed heart, sorry. 
the tamed heart is indeed tractable. So I was thinking train because I experience us having been in this role for so many years. I see that we are so eminently trainable that we experience the far enemy of these qualities just by habit. Greed, positioning, cruelty, ill will, hatred, envy, jealousy. This is habit born of, of confusion and ignorance sometimes, but also just born of uh, having an untamed heart. And in some way, it's no different than trying to learn a skill, an instrument, a sport. It's possible to train our hearts to incline toward these, these wholesome qualities, these Brahma Viharas. I'll, I'll read on. Friends, I know nothing which is as tractable as a tamed heart. The, the tamed heart is indeed tractable. Friends, I know nothing which tends toward loss as does an untamed heart. Indeed, the untamed heart tends toward loss. Friends, I know nothing which tends toward growth as does a tamed heart. Indeed, the tamed heart tends toward growth. Friends, I know nothing which brings suffering as does an untamed, uncontrolled, unattended, unrestrained heart. Such a heart brings suffering. Friends, I know nothing which brings joy, as does a tamed, controlled, attended, restrained heart. Such a heart brings joy. As I first turn to this page. This is called the inclination of the mind. So all of this is, is the suggestion that we, that it would be helpful for us to incline our heart, incline our mind toward these, these um, immeasurable qualities. And this is from, also from the middle length sutras called the Majjhima Nikaya. Others will be cruel. We shall not be cruel. Thus, one should incline the mind. Others will kill living beings. We shall abstain from killing living beings. Thus, one should incline the mind. Others will take what is not given. We shall abstain from taking what is not given. Thus, one should incline the mind. Others will engage in inappropriate Sexuality, we shall abstain from inappropriate sexuality. Thus, one should incline the mind. Others will speak falsehoods. We shall abstain from false speech. This one should incline the mind. Others will speak maliciously. We shall abstain from malicious speech. It goes on and on. Others will be envious. We shall not be envious. 
Others will be avaricious. We shall not be avaricious. Others will be fraudulent. We shall not be fraudulent. Others will be arrogant. We shall not be arrogant. Others will be unmindful. We shall be established in mindfulness. Others will lack wisdom. We shall cultivate wisdom. Thus, one should incline the mind. The Buddha said that you could scan the world in all directions and not find anyone more deserving of kindness, of loving kindness than oneself. And so we always start our inclination of the mind toward these immeasurable qualities by with ourselves. Are we being kind to ourselves in our with our bodies, with our speech, with our actions, and really stop and listen. Is, are my actions of body, speech, and mind, are they in the service of, of well-being and happiness? In this way, we may not be being so kind to ourselves. Are we really caring about our stress we may not be inclining toward compassion. Are we really delighting in things, in people, in situations? We may not be cultivating the causes of joy. Are we being blameless? So I, I meant to tell you that that each of these immeasurable qualities, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity has a near enemy, a, a quality that disguises itself, that seems a little bit like the real thing, this more immeasurable, boundless quality. Looks like it, but isn't really it. And the near enemy of loving kindness is traditionally, it's often described as attachment. Just, but it's really a kind of, a certain kind of neediness, dependency, sentimentality, a clinging quality that often, even longing is often associated with love and it's, it disguises itself as love, but it's not, it's very much about clinging. And it's usually very much bound in what I want to happen. And so it's bound up in identity. But the quality of, of loving kindness is, uh, is free of, of self. It's just wants, wants others to be happy. It's what we call a wholesome desire. The near enemy of compassion is pity, which in a way is slightly distancing. Remember these boundless qualities are, are in some ways are outward facing. They wish, they wish for the well-being of others. They're not, it's not just inward facing, which is sometimes the the tracking of our, of our process, all of that is in the service of being able to unleash these loving hearts. So sometimes 
we see someone hurting, but they, st we still experience them as other. We don't experience them as just a, we don't experience a joining with that person in their, or that group in their suffering. Another near enemy is a kind of despair. Our hearts break and we feel despair, but despair is not compassion. Compassion is very courageous and very strong. It can really sit in the middle. It can really act very passionately. You've probably heard the expression of fierce compassion. It's not just this kind of passive caring. It's really dynamic. The near enemy of sympathetic joy. This one's a little tricky. It's a kind of exuberance, a kind of greed, a, a, really getting off on someone else's happiness to the, the point where it's, there's a, almost an excessive exuberance, a, an excessive identification with their happiness. It's like, a, it's like this, the sycophants of the world that, that, that get off on someone else's fame and name. And I, I don't know if I said it already, now I'm starting to have that tired feeling, is the near enemy of equanimity is indifference. It disguises itself as balance, but it's really distancing, it's really cut off. It's, it has a quality of not caring. So I realize we've hit the end of our time and I only hope maybe this is just the beginning of a, of a wider exploration of the, of the expression of chitta as, as love, as compassion, of joy, of equanimity. Just to hear the words of the Buddha where he spoke about Ananda, you could tell that it wasn't just this pristine clarity, it was a tender heart that he expressed. For a long time, Ananda, and he spoke of Ananda, have you been very near to me by acts of love, kind and good that never varies and is beyond all measure? For a long time, Ananda, have you been very near to me by words of love, kind and good that never varies and is beyond all measure? For a long time, Ananda, have you been very near to me by thoughts of love, kind and good that never varies and is beyond all measures? You have done well, Ananda. So you could tell he values this, this boundless heart that just wants to help, wants to be friendly, wants to be good. So we end with a passage from the Subha Sutta. And we can take this as a meditation as we end. One abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with metta, loving kindness. 
likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, and all around, all over and everywhere. One abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with metta, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, and without ill will. Just as a vigorous conch blower could make himself heard without difficulty in the four quarters, so too, when the deliverance of the mind by metta, by loving kindness, is developed in this way, no limiting action remains there. None persists there. And then he goes on to say, one abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion, and then with sympathetic joy, a mind imbued with equanimity, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around, all over, everywhere. One abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Just as a vigorous conch blower could make himself heard without difficulty in the four quarters, so too with the deliverance of mind by equanimity. If it's developed in this way, no limiting action remains there, none persists. Well, may this be so for all of us. May we all develop this unconfined capacity to express love, joy, compassion, and equanimity. And may it be offered um, as a blessing to all beings. Every little moment of practice, let it be a blessing to others. And may we, as Shanti Deva says, may we, may we become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. And may it be so. Thanks so much for your practice. Please feel free to, after I hit the gong, to unmute and say good night to each other, put each other to bed. Namaste, everybody. Good night. Good Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.